This is Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Primal Screen is about movies, from the ones on the big screen to the ones you stream. Hope you enjoy the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. Welcome, it's the familiar strains of Tenebrae, so you must know it is primal screen time. We are a triple, triple R film criticism show and podcast. I am your host, Vice President of Mergers and Acquisitions, or is that Murders and Executions, <laughs> Paul Anthony Nelson. And in the virtual studio, we're all laying our fancy business cards on the table. First, with eggshell and Romalian type, it's Flick Ford. Hello. And with raised lettering, pale nimbus white is Sally Christie. Hello. I, can I just? I can just say. Can I just say? I've been in the process of actually having a business card done up, and I went with the font from the craft. That's what I picked. <laughs> <laughs> what the poster title or the credits yeah. titles? The, the poster title font. No. Oh, nice. so cool, Sal. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, a couple of weeks back, you might have um, known that on our second special about Myth 68 and a Half, we reviewed film historian Mark Cousins' epic 14-hour documentary, Women Make Film, which took a road trip through an alternate history of cinema, spotlighting more than 300 films directed by over 180 women from around the world. We all left the film with a list of films we wanted to see. We thought we'd spotlight just three of the films featured in the doc that are all available to stream, rent, or buy to watch in the comfort of your own home right now. First, we'll head to the psychotic Reagan 80s as Christian Bale preens down Wall Street and kills a lot of people in director Mary Harron's 2000 adaptation of Brett Easton Ellis's controversial novel, American Psycho. Then we'll wash up on the shores of an alternate Italy under fascist rule where the resistance begins with moving dead bodies from the streets in Liliana Cavani's 1970 counterculture blast, The Life of the Cannibals. And then finally, we'll pop in some funny teeth and drop in unannounced on a German businesswoman in Bucharest who takes life a little too seriously in director Marin Aids, uh, Marin Ade, I should say. I keep wanting to say marinade and that's bad. <laughs> Director Marin Arde's 2016 Oscar, Golden Globe and Cannes-nominated comedy hit, Tony Erdman. Also, as you listen to us chatting about these films, please feel free to hit us up on our social media channels and leave a comment. Just search for Primal Screen on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And also, don't forget, it is still Triple R Radiothon Month the most important in our station's history. So if you are able, we would love you to donate and or subscribe to Triple R. You can subscribe to this very show and even sign up your pets as subscribers. As we we know they all love rock and tunes and loose talk as much as anyone else. Just head to rrr.org.au right now to donate or subscribe. So now it's time for the Primal Screen News Bulletin for the week. This week, we mourn the passing of Dame Diana Rigg, who, much like her recently departed predecessor, Honor Blackman, 
To find a new brand of cool, smart, sexy, and exceptionally capable female action heroes in the late 1960s, as Ms. Emma Peel in the TV series The Avengers, and was so damned cool, she was the only woman ever to marry 007 uh, in that most underrated of Bond films on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Even in her golden years, she never stopped working, still tearing it up in TV's Game of Thrones, and has her final two roles, playing Mother Dorothy in a TV miniseries adaptation of Black Narcissus, and as well as a role in Edgar Wright's next film, Last Night in Soho, will both be released next year. Dame Rig passed away of cancer at age 82 and will be dearly missed. Were you guys fans? Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah, I think it's... It's always one of those things whenever you kind of have a reason to revisit the work and you, I was doing a little scan through all of her older films and particularly those early roles. She's so amazing. She's such a badass. Yeah. yeah she is. Yeah. And gorgeous and charismatic. Yeah. And so cool. So the Venice Film Festival handed out its awards overnight and it was Asian-American director Chloe Zhao, who Melburnians might know for her 2017 MIF hit, The Rider, who won the Golden Lion for her best film uh, for best film for her new film Nomadland, starring Frances McDormand as a woman who, after losing everything in the recession, packs her van and sets off to live outside of conventional society as a modern-day nomad. Japanese director Kiyoshi Kurosawa won the Silver Lion for best director for the 1940s set Hitchcockian melodrama Wife of a Spy. Meanwhile, the crowns. Vanessa Kirby won Best Actress for Pieces of a Woman about a couple whose baby dies during a home birth. And Italy's Pier Francesco Fabino won Best Actor for Our Father, a 1970s set coming-of-age story set against a terrorist attack. Congratulations to all the winners. So, now, listeners, please join us on the couch for the first film of the evening. There is an idea of a Patrick Bateman, some kind of abstraction. But there is no real me, only an entity, something illusory. And though I can hide my cold gaze, and you can shake my hand and feel flesh gripping yours, and maybe you can even sense our lifestyles are probably comparable, I simply am not there. American Psycho from 2000 is the second feature film directed by Mary Harron. Patrick Bateman, Christian Bale, is a wealthy vice president one of many, at a huge New York investment banking firm who barely hides his unspeakably violent impulses from his co-workers, friends, and lovers as he escalates deeper into his, or (laughs) de-escalates deeper into his deranged fantasies, resulting in a string of vicious murders, a trail of dead bodies, and lengthy diatribes on popular music. Now, Flick, I don't want you to get drunk, but that's a very fine Chardonnay you're not drinking. (laughs) What about... (laughs) Please, please. <laughs> <laughs> no, please tell us what you're not drinking. Um, I've got a very nice um, Aldi wine going on. Oh, fantastic. It's a, <laughs> very fun, it's a very fine Aldi wine you're not drinking. What about this movie just kills you? <laughs> uh, look, this is such – I so I went through, I'm sure like a lot of uh, teenagers went through a real Brett Easton Ellis phase and read everything he ever wrote Um, and was really obsessed with it and um, I have to say the novels for me haven't held up but re-watching this film was pure joy. I saw a tweet the other day from uh, Nina Ayama saying it says something about a society that women in their 30s listen to crime podcasts to relax and I (laughs) 
have never felt more seen. Not not so much with crime podcasts, but just if, with these kind of like super violent films with these amazing soundtracks. I was just completely, I felt so calm after watching this film <laughs> and so like strangely energised out of my lockdown fever. Um, this was possibly, I mean, I don't know, I just really, it was a joy to return to, which sounds very weird to be saying about a serial killer. I think what it is, though, that's so different from the novel is Haran and um, uh, Genevieve, um, Guinevere Turner. Guinevere, yeah, Turner's, their their screenplay changes this into something very different, and I think that um, I was reading lots of reviews on the comparison of the adaptation and things like that, and I think there's something so fascinating about how they've decided to shoot certain scenes and what scenes they've omitted. And um, I know that there was a huge amount of pushback from Gloria Steinem, who's obviously a very well-known feminist, who was... Um, and also Christian Bale's mother-in-law. <laughs> Isn't that wild? So she came out. She's very, she was very upset about the film being made in general. Uh, she, uh, you know, hates the book. She, um, she is good friends with Leonardo DiCaprio somehow because she invited him to um, this game and was like, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do this film because he was an, originally going to play Bateman. And um, I just love the fact that there was this huge pushback and then she ends up being his stepmom. Anyway, that aside, <laughs> I actually think this is an amazingly feminist film. I watched this and I took so much joy in the satire in this. Like it's completely sending up these men and this kind of corporate vanity and the men are not, it's kind of fascinating how, yes, the women are, of course, there's huge amounts of violence in this film and the women are treated like objects, but so are the men. And it's kind of like, it's almost bringing to light that sort of strange relationship where they're more, you know, at one point Bateman sees his wife, oh, sorry, his fiancée talking to this man that, um, and it's not, he's not worried about, there's no jealousy there. It's jealousy about like wanting to get this deal that, you know, um, Paul has. And it's, it's kind of fascinating this, like that power play. Um, there's so much to say about this film. I don't know where to start, but I think that one of the things that's really crucial to say is that just because you're representing violence against Mm. women's does not mean it's an endorsement. And I get really Mm -hmm. frustrated with discussions around that. I'm a feminist and I feel like it was, it's kind of a bit disheartening to hear takes on this, which are like, Oh, there shouldn't be this sort of these, you know, this kind of level of violence and the way in which the, you know, people who might be turned off, particularly by the, maybe the poster or the trailer or, you know, misunderstanding that this is a satire and, Mm. I think there's so much in this film. There's a wonderful scene. I'll just pick out one particular bit that I love the most in that um, Bateman gets these two women into his apartment um, for a threesome and they're both um, sex workers and there's this one bit where he's like talking about his job and he's like, of course, you know, my company and neither of them do and there's this wonderful exchange between the two women where they just look so bored by him (laughs) (laughs) and I think that the whole film is filled with these little moments and the they often spend a lot of time with um the female victims and not in a way that feels in any way um objectifying or kind of you know glamorizing Mm. in any way i actually think that this is a really powerful study of american society um and i don't know it's one of my favorites and it was a real joy to return to i think i love it more now than i did when i was like when it came out 20 years ago so yeah i'm gonna say too just quickly just in steinem's defense I I think all of her comments were before she'd seen the movie because I think right. they were all about the novel and the right. novel being turned into the movie and what yeah. she imagined that. Yeah, okay. 
Yeah, it was all before but the I, film came no, out. No, no, no. Actually, oh, I have heard a comment. Yeah, so she okay. did come up to um, Turner at a party, mm. and um, she realised that she was the um, she was one of the screenwriters, and she didn't hear exactly the conversation before that. But Steinem started saying, um, "I think the two women who made that film must have been." Um, abused as children. Oh my like that god! Was her, yeah, that was her her comment, her direct quote from Turner. So um, wow. that's Steinem saying. And I just think there's such a misunderstanding about what these two women um, achieved in this film, which I think is amazing. And that's not even to talk about Bale's method acting. I don't want to take up too much time, but oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I love Bale, but um, I love the fact he based his performance on Tom Cruise. Um, Tom Cruise being on Letterman. Oh there's wow! This, yeah, there's this great. He wanted to have it's a direct quote. Um, the very intense friendliness with nothing behind the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so wonderful. Oh, yeah, I um, when I first heard that Christian Bale was playing Patrick Bateman, the only thing that I had seen him in was Velvet Goldmine. Mm-hmm. And I was just like, there is absolutely no way that guy from Velvet Goldmine can play Patrick Bateman, but, God, he does an incredible job. He is excellent in this film. Um. My notes on this are pretty similar to yours, to be honest, Flick. I love this movie and I think it gets better and better and better every time I rewatch it. What I took away from it this time is that it's just this really brilliant exploration of fragile males that are consumed with status and how incredibly boring they really are (laughs) and how forgettable they are. Mm. I mean, there's all this great confusion with names that goes throughout this and is this that person or is that that person because they're all so dull that they just blend into this one thing. And Um, self-absorbed. Oh, totally. The other person. One thing that I, I really loved that I think that this, the film captured so well is what a dickhead Patrick Bateman is. Like, he's <laughs> such a loser. And I would <laughs> I would never have thought that a film that is about a misogynistic piece of trash would be so hilarious, but it is. It's so, it's so joyous to watch. And this real kind of fragile male that, you know, can't um, have be threatened by anybody who's going, uh, you know, for a similar job or somebody of a different sexuality or somebody that they don't understand understand their status because they're homeless or somebody of a different gender that they have to, they have these crazy fantasies about wiping these people out because it's this othering and they don't understand it, which is what I I really took away from this watch. Um, And yeah, I think it's, it's very different to the book. It is, Mm. it's a very different telling of, you know, of this story and yeah, it's, a wild movie. It's so, so much fun and there's so much to get from it. I think mm. it is such a great social commentary. Yeah, as someone, I weirdly have not read the book. I've, I've read part of it. I remember reading the first hundred pages or so and going, I, I need to come back to this. The, the constant naming of brands was really mm. annoying me. It's like it's, it's, it's hard to read. You've, yeah. It's something that mm. you've really got to get into a rhythm of and then once you're in that rhythm, it's okay. But, yeah, yeah to begin with, it's hard. And actually all of his books are a bit like that, to be honest, like that kind of naming of of brands. And actually like even with the making of this film, so many brands pulled out. They're like, we don't want to be associated with him. I I saw this in 2000 and I was weirdly underwhelmed by it. I think I wanted it to be more of a horror film or something. I don't Mm. know. Revisiting it now, I think it's it's brilliant. And I think if anything, it's aged incredibly well, particularly when you consider who the American president is. 
Mm. Like there's something about that, you know, because we've heard that for the last sort of few years. It's like psychopaths do well in business. Psychopaths are, you know, CEOs, psychopaths. And often it's through doing, you know, this maneuvering of people and doing as little as possible, which it's interesting that we hardly we, ever see Bateman work. We yeah. never see him work. Not no. once. And that's like, a, not that once was a, we see him work. And that was a constant, that was a, 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 a conscious decision by Heron and, and but also by Ellis in his novel as well he very rarely mentions him working apparently um from what I've read um but yeah Heron and Turner in particular said it takes us out of this whole because his whole idea is like he's just completely surface he's not there and so the minute he starts working it's like well he's engaged and mm. it's like we don't he's never engaged he's always a step outside of society mm. and I I'm with you too I think this is a feminist film. The only characters who feel truly human in this, I mean, although they all have touches of humanity because, you know, they're good writers and it's it's portrayed by great actors, but the women, like Chloe Sevigny and yeah. the two sex workers, um, particularly Cara Seymour's character, mm. they're the most tangible humans in the film. Yeah. Like all the guys are just kind of like slightly less douchey versions of, of Bateman. And there's an amazing the scene. Worst dude, bros. Oh, the worst. <laughs> Although it's interesting that Justin Thoreau's character seems to have a weird kind of realisation towards the end. It's like you, you can almost see the lights turning on, like maybe this isn't right, you know. Um, but there's there's something, there's a moment at, near the start where Bateman launches. He he ticks off Josh Lucas's character for an anti-Semitic slur. Or... or um, and uh, uh, Thoreau starts talking about Sri Lanka. And Bateman goes in this whole thing about what in the world needs to be fixed. And he sounds like he's running for president. Mm. And it's terrifying because this serial killing psychopath is basically reeling off, we need social justice and we need education and we need this thing. And it's like it shows how easily someone, a psychopath, can slip in to a more palatable persona mm. and win people over. Especially um, when they've got professional script writers. Um, exactly. <laughs> basically yeah. coming up with all of their, which, <laughs> their lines. Which, which politicians do, mm, you know. And yep. so it's, yeah. And, it, uh, yeah, I feel like time in all the, it's like one of those films like do the right thing. It's like time in the, in the, in the worst, like aesthetics in the best way and time in the worst way have made this film grow yeah. even more relevant mm. and yeah and it's also bloody hilarious like i mean i could just watch uh, patrick bateman have sex all day <laughs> looking at himself I bet patrick bateman could as well yeah, he can too. it is it's so funny it's like hilarious like yeah. pointing at himself and like like it's the, the greatest show you know i'm i'm sad that i didn't rewatch it with no without knowing that um he based it on tom cruise because i can't now that i know that i kind of keep thinking back to scenes and being like it's so perfectly tom cruise i mean like even tom cruise plays tom cruise great like magnolia is a, yes. a fantastic example of that where he plays like this really amped up version of him but it's such a wonderful statement on masculinity and I think that sometimes it gets lost in you know a critique of masculinity is not you know when it gets an endorsement that of idea those of, behaviors yeah precisely yeah. it's my, not a celebration at all no. for a decade pretty much ever since bloody social media started I've wanted a t-shirt that says depiction is not endorsement yeah um yeah. I'm sure you can drives, find that. <laughs> it drives me insane um but the yeah I think all the performances across the board in this are terrific it's it, it's got a yeah, even in the smallest roles, a lot of the actors do really pitch mm -hmm. perfect work. But yeah, it is an it is a razor sharp 
satire of masculinity of of 80s era greed as well Mm -hmm. but in the way the society forgive like enables psychopaths Mm. um it's interesting. And actually the oh sorry yeah, continue sorry. no i was just gonna say there's a plot point i didn't there's a plot point um that's that's revealed early on that i completely missed the first time i saw it and the second time i thought reese witherspoon was saying that bateman's uh that, that her father owned the company but it's actually bateman's father is mm. is really powerful within the company and that unlocks so much of the film as well that I think is really interesting and really pinned it down to a point with like, oh no, okay, everything makes sense now. Yeah. And and particularly the way certain be- people behave in certain, like, it's interesting the way the real estate agent behaves selling the, you know, the apartment, the way, like everything feeds into this whole thing of blind greed and, mm. and mm. the way people will just look the other way when it's not in their self-interest. And I think it's 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 really yeah. I mean, I had like an interview with the vampire style reawakening to this film. Like, I think this film is <laughs> almost a masterpiece. Yeah, I it I was is. surprised by um because I I feel like revisiting Brett Easton Ellis's novels, I have not enjoyed. I've kind of been like, oh, I don't really like these as much. But mm. so I think that I kind of coupled it together. But I think the fact that it's so different from the novels the novel means that it's just something other and yeah I completely agree with you Paul about the fact that time has really even brought this into sharper focus um Mm. yeah such a great film and thank you for picking it (laughs) (laughs) you're welcome um if you want to see Christian Bale at his most awesome and playing a weird version of Bruce Wayne in some ways uh (laughs) American Psycho is now streaming on Netflix and is able to rent or buy via YouTube Google Play and Apple TV you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R Triple R on FM, digital, online, via the app. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple uh, R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Um, let's move on from that, shall we? And join us by the electronic device of your choice for the second film of the evening. Attenzione, ascoltatemi, vi stanno castrando. In nome del padre, del figlio, datevi la gambe. In nome del padre, del figlio, reagite subito. Attenzione, datemi retta, siete ancora in tempo. Ascoltatemi. Vi stanno castrando. Attenzione, ascoltatemi, vi stanno castrando. In nome del padre, del figlio, datevi la gambe. In nome del padre, del figlio, reagite subito. In case you don't speak Italian, that was Britt Eklund uh, blessing potential soldiers, telling them that they'll be castrated. Um, And that is a scene from our second film for the evening in our spotlight on women-directed films featured in the documentary Women Make Film. This is uh, The Life of the Cannibals, or I Cannibali, from 1970, which is the second feature film directed by Liliana Cavani. The streets of of a big city are full of dead bodies, which people seem not to notice and pass by indifferently. At the behest of fascist authorities, anyone who tries to move or bury the bodies will be punished by death, as they're being left to serve as an an example to future rebellions. But a privileged young woman, Antigone, played by Britt Eklund, aims to bury her dead brother, finding the unexpected help of an almost messianic foreigner, Tiresias, played by Pierre Clementi. Together, body by body, they continue to violate this rule, moving bodies to a a makeshift resting place and undermining the established order. Sally, as this was your pick for the evening and a film you'd never seen before, what did you think? I loved this so much. I was so happy that I picked this. I picked this um, like you pick a good bottle of wine. I liked the picture on it and I liked the name of it. (laughs) Um, 
<laughs> if it's a I, film from the seventies from Italy and has the word cannibal in the title, yeah, that's that's a, a that's a ding 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 for me. I do. I really love this era of Italian cinema. Um, there's a few I, films that came out around this time which look at have similar themes of revolt, like investigation of a citizen above suspicion. Um, and yeah, there's a lot of them that sort of dealt with these themes. But this is done in God such a breathtaking way. The opening sequence to this. So beautiful. Uh, I am often a big fan of style over substance and this stylistically completely, I just, it was totally my jam. There's this one gorgeous scene where we've got a truck going down the street that's sort of hosing down these piles of dead bodies, which was just glorious to look at. I know it doesn't sound that way, but it really was. It is very striking. (laughs) <laughs> so beautiful, like such such a beautiful looking film, um, and also the the two leads were also incredibly breathtaking. I love this contrast of them, where we have this kind of almost sixties, um, well, not almost is sixties sort of uh, hippie film with these two lovers that are running down the street naked. Contra- uh, that these two incredibly beautiful people and the contrast with them and these dead bodies that are there, which I really love that imagery. I also loved the score, which kept making me think it was going to end up being Lee Hazelwood and Nancy Sinatra and they were going to burst into some velvet morning, but it mm-hmm. was um, Mericoni's score. So, yeah, I, I really love this. There was a lot of the time, a lot of the time I felt the plot was loose, but I can totally totally forgive that um it was perhaps trying to be a little more profound than it was in the end but it was a beautiful film and I'm so glad that I stumbled across this because it really is right up my alley I loved it so much Hmm. the cinematography is something else isn't it I um I'm glad that this film got highlighted during um women in film the the doco that we're kind of basing tonight's episode on because I think that this is something that could so easily get just left in the past. And- well, yeah, that's it. I, I had never heard of this film and I do, I really love this particular um, era of Italian cinema and, yeah, I'd never heard of it, seen it. Yeah. So it would be, I think, very easy to kind of, yeah, just get forgotten about. And it was interesting. I ju- I literally just watched it before coming on air and I think that it was fascinating to me that I obviously saw the Women in Film doco, you know, when we were doing our MIF special and all of those scenes were so uh, present in my mind and I, I, I remember them exactly mm. and I think that mm. that's because they have such lasting um impact and I I have to admit that I didn't like this perhaps as much as you Sal but I did really love the aesthetics of it and I think there's something really powerful in how the story is told and less so um the actual narrative which I agree is a bit loose and doesn't really hold together and is sometimes a little bit too on the nose but more so visually how it's communicated so these moments between how they meet and those exchanges and um as you're saying before like that kind of the imagery of these dead bodies and then this these kind of people just um running past but also like the way in which their their chemistry on screen I thought was like very palpable but yeah, I, I didn't get as much into it. I thought maybe it did prompt me to know more about what was going on in the time because I was I was trying to create some sort of concept for it. And obviously this, the idea of um, state totalitarianism and just this, this kind of enforced um, rule and like the hypocrisy of the government and that's all 
exceptionally clear. I just wanted to get a, a better context, a historical context. So I think that um, it's prompted me to do a bit more research into it um, because I've just seen that I don't really have that background. But mm. um, the cinematography is exceptional and I, I, I was it was kind of a strangely um, felt almost modern in some scenes mm. and um, I think that's the, the skill of cinematography that's not limited to the time but is actually quite experimental. Like there's some really odd angles that they use and um, I think that was really, really quite captivating and very um, shocking images. I saw one that just like reminded me and not in a bad way of the human centipede, like where there's yes. shocking images yeah. and yes. it has a really... Um, uh, I don't actually know enough about Italian cinema, but it did remind me of a lot of the experimental cinema that was happening in Mexico. And mm-hmm. I have done um, under my honours thesis on Mexican cinema and a lot of that surrealist cinema was so similar to this, that, that linking between religion and and um, these kind of, you know, really corrupt politicians and then this kind of um, overly sexual sort of um, escapades and stuff like that. That is, for me, is what a lot of that cinema in Mexico was all about, you know. And so definitely points in this film where I I thought about Ken Russell and I thought Mm. about Honorowski and, um, you know, all that kind of stuff came to me. But, yeah, Yeah. that's another reason I think why I love this particular era of cinema is that, where that kind of risk taking, especially mm. in the cinematography, mm. where people were playing with things and it wasn't so conventional. And um, we, you know, got to see this full, you know, of what the potential was, what we could do. And I feel it's like cinema plays it a lot more straight now. We don't have that yeah. playfulness yeah. that we used to. Yeah. And I mean, the, the name you two haven't mentioned that just kept buzzing for me the whole time was Pasolini. Mm. Yes, yeah, definitely. Reminded yeah. me so much of Pasolini. Yeah, yeah. Um, I can say that. Salo in particular. Um, yeah. But, yeah, yeah, there's obviously it's nowhere near as hardcore as that. Um, but, yeah, a lot of that and, and a lot of kind of huge late 60s hippie youth will save, youth will save us energy going up going on here i like that the most revolutionary act you could commit in this society was an act of basic human kindness mm. thought that was a, a a beautiful kind of turn as well um great production and costume design lots of giallo style colors at times with the sets um the inf- influence of swinging london is also really strong there i um i think in particular in addition to the cinematography i thought the blocking is really strong in this movie mm. Like where people are within fr- and objects are within frames is just really, um, really attractive and and really, um, really pops. Um, it's yeah, I, I I think its narrative builds quite well. I like the enigma of it, and I think it sort of takes I think it takes the enigma away at the right time. I think it is. I think it, I agree with you both. It does slide into faux profundity at times, mm-hmm. and I'm not sure if all the ancient Greek references are quite worth like like they seem kind of token i don't yeah, know if it, I, I felt mm, like that too doesn't yeah. really follow the plot of antigone or anything like mm. that like it's just like they've taken these names and who these characters were in greek myth and sort of mushed them together a bit um but it just felt a bit again like american psycho a bit too relatable nowadays with so many right-wing governments far too willing to make a sacrificial example of its own citizens to serve mm. their own narrow craven imperatives Sorry, wrong meeting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I agree. So I think it's still a bit of a hidden gem. Like, yeah, it's yeah. on the nose at times, but you know, mm. subtlety's overrated sometimes. I think. Yeah, I think I like that. I, I think that all the time. <laughs> <laughs> so the you can see *I Cannibali* or *The Life of the Cannibals* now streaming on Amazon Prime Video. 
You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R. Triple R. You are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Flick Ford, Sally Christie, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. Now, if you please, join us in the living room for our final film. No, thank you very much. It was really thank interesting you. with the thank you. painting. Maybe we can uh, sing a song for you uh, and for your family. Yes. Just to say thank you. Why not? Okay, it will be nice. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> I will arrange. Cue the greatest love of all. Tony Erdman from 2016 is the third feature film directed by Maren Arde. Practical Joker Winifred, Peter Simonshek, uh, Simonshek, um doesn't see much of his working daughter Ines, played by Sandra Hula, so he pays her a surprise visit in Bucharest where she works as a corporate strategist. As Winifred in- annoys his daughter with corny pranks and jabs at her routine lifestyle of meetings and paperwork, Ines can't take it anymore, so her dad agrees to go home to Germany. Soon after, a mysterious man named Tony Erdman, who looks a lot like her dad, dressed in a tacky suit, weird wig and fake teeth, barges into Ines's work circle, claiming to be her CEO's life coach. In all this madness, will a super serious Ines rediscover her humour and her father? Flick, we all know how much you love some European cringe comedy. So, like me picking an all-star serial killer black comedy and Sally picking a 70s counterculture drama with the word cannibal in the title, this is very on brand. Is this is your love for this film the greatest love of all? <laughs> you know what? It's pretty close. <laughs> it's definitely one of my favorites. I um Oh, I feel like this film is has not been seen by enough people. So I bring it up at every opportunity I can. <laughs> it's a really hard sell in some ways because it's like two hours and forty-two minutes. It's which you know has become, you know, two hours you can get away with for like a big blockbuster action that you're going to see heaps of special effects. But it's just like it's going to be this you know fraught father-daughter relationship with lots of awkward comedy. I mean, like it's a harder a harder film to sell in that way. Um, I remember reading an interview with um, the director, Ade, and she was talking about the fact that um, she she couldn't actually, she tried cutting it down and she just couldn't because it just ruined <laughs> the pacing of it. And re-watching it, um, I was just like, I can totally believe it. I feel like there is not a wasted moment in this film and I hope more people see it. It's this beautiful kind of oscillation between this like control and chaos. And I was watching with my partner and he was like, oh, it's so stressful. And I was like, well, it's stressful depending on which side you're on <laughs> because you can choose. You can choose to be with the uptight daughter or and be worried about like whether she's going to seal this deal or you can you can sort of sit with the father and like enjoy the tomfoolery and like his constant like testing at this kind of rather ridiculous corporate world. So I feel like it, the film and your experience with the film really determined is determined by which character you're siding with. And um, I remember watching this um, in the cinema by myself and it's kind of there's these moments in it and Paul and I were talking off air last week about the fact that when watching this film there's moments when you just erupt into a level of like laughter that I I felt embarrassed watching it by myself because it just like erupted from me. I think that there's so many hilarious scenes. Um, Yeah, it's such a surprising film. There's the comic absurdity, but there's this also like this excruciatingly kind of understated tragedy to their, their two lives and the fact that 
this kind of real sadness in that what's been lost. Like the simple thing could be that she doesn't find her dad funny anymore, but there's so much more than that. Um, you know, and on one level, because it's set in in this kind of corporate world and they're living, you know, they're taking over this area where there's like, um, you know, extreme poverty and things like that. You could read it as this kind of satire on globalisation, but um, I think really the the more pressing story is this kind of beautiful um, personal relationship between father and daughter. And I, I really love seeing those kind of characters and that relationship on screen. I think this is such a believable representation. I definitely watched it and was like, mm. I need to call my dad. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah, and I, that scene that you picked out is so perfect and I think that that's a real turning point of um, Inez's character when she's suddenly singing this, like, amazing Whitney Houston ballad to, the, to these, like, basic strangers. And I love mm. the fact that as the film develops, you can totally see, they seem like such opposite characters, like, mm. you know, like how, how is she, his daughter? But um, they just kind of come to this completely, you, you just see him in her in these yeah, moments yeah. where she, like, breaks through. And um, I love it. I It's got so many scenes in it that just thinking about make me laugh. <laughs> I mean, if you really love that kind of really awkward humour, which I do love, um, this is the perfect film, I think. And such, yeah, I couldn't say enough good things about it. I think we've just got Sal back. That was a scary moment. <laughs> I wasn't going to let on because it was oh, almost sorry. seamless. <laughs> Sally just came back yes. as you finished. It was like, <laughs> I just throw to Sal like nothing happened. You yeah. vanished for a few. I'm, I disappeared for a little bit, but I'm back now. It's the panic of my internet dropping out while we're live on air. But you know, so Flavor Flick, I, I missed what you did. <laughs> uh, too long, didn't read. Really love this film. <laughs> um, I, I caught the start of it. Um, I hadn't seen this before. This was my first time seeing this. Uh, Flick, I feel like I'm really going to upset you now, but I no, really didn't. I didn't like this. <laughs> All right, well, we'll just drop out your Wi-Fi. Okay, man. so that's that's what I was thinking when I dropped out. I was like, oh, maybe it's a good thing. Maybe I'll dodge the bullet. There was, How? <laughs> there was a, a lot. There really, like, great, great performances in here and I get the kind of underlying melancholy that they both had that they were, you know, going through. But I found it really difficult to connect with either of the main characters. I found them both incredibly insufferable um, <laughs> on in every kind of way, shape and form. Like I just, I didn't care what happened to them because I thought they were both such assholes. <laughs> I just, I was, yeah, so this was, um, I just, yeah, I, there was no empathy there for me. I just couldn't connect with the characters at all. Uh, but it was a really beautifully crafted film and some like, some of the comedy in it was absolutely fantastic. Um, but it, I don't know, it just, just wasn't for me. I just didn't love it. And just admit now that somebody won't be listening. What did you think of The Dish last week? Just quickly. Didn't love that either. <laughs> Quiet, breaking hearts just, all over the place. Just want to be, just full disclosure. We just want to be honest. Okay. Um. Uh. So yeah, this is. I saw this at MIF. A, uh, a back in 2016. I was going to say this would have had to have been on at MIF. Yeah, 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 it yeah. Got, like it was my favorite film of it. That and the Neon Demon, I think, were my oh. favorite films of MIF that year. Yeah. And it was like. This is a 162-minute comedy from Germany. Those are words in a sentence that shouldn't go together. 
like German comedy, 162 minutes, 162 minute comedy. What? But it it works so incredibly. I, I started when when I saw that initially as well, Paul. That for mm. me was oh my god. But I didn't find the the runtime excessive at all. Um, yeah, that wasn't that didn't wasn't an issue for me. It felt the pacing of it was completely fine. Mm. It worked. It like I caught what you were saying, Flick, about her not being able to edit it down, and I, mm. I agree. Everything needed to be there for this film. Yeah. Yeah, this I I think Marin Arde has pulled off some kind of miracle, like magic trick, mm. because you know I'm I'm normally a bit of a length, um, you know, Nazi for want of a better word. Um, please don't ban me, Khan. Um, but it's and it's got a premise that doesn't sound a million miles away from an Adam Sandler film, but. <laughs> There's something about the way Arda and just which kind of Adam Sandler film? Sorry, well, well, like, <laughs> just a like, way a, like a Jack and Jill, or that's my boy. You know, it's always yeah, about yeah. A, a strange kid and a parent, and it's like mm. they sound like, like terrible Adam Sandler films. But Arda makes sure he really gets to know these characters, in particular their sadness and isolation. What you're saying before, and it's interesting that both Innes and Winifred are often surrounded by people, but they're both desperate really lonely mm-hmm. and then creating this observant mosaic of behavior through scenes that seem improvised but are actually really carefully scripted and then i think scenes develop more like almost like something like a panicky drama mm-hmm. rather than a sandler comedy you know like it's these setting up these sort of car crash situations to slowly come together um so you've kind of got on one side you've got this poignant family and workplace drama you know like like all the men like it's funny when they both arrive she's showing her dad around and all of these male executives from Bucharest keep talking to her dad like he's yeah. the authority, mm. even yeah. though she's clearly the gun. That's I found yeah. that scene to be the the most powerful scene for me in the film mm-hmm. was when um they, they go to she takes him to that that um business dinner. Mm. Yeah. And that there's these sort of so on one hand you got this poignant family workplace drama, and then it and then it keeps ramming into the specific cringeworthy absurdities she's throwing in from the other side. And to me, it felt like you're watching a modern German drama of manners dosed on nitrous oxide. Um, it's it, That's the thing. The comedy never cheats the drama. And by the film's end, it's actually incredibly moving and ends on this perfect note. Um, and the cast is so game. I think Hula and Simonacek are perfect. They give those the kind of performances that really stick in your mind for years afterwards. Like, you're right, Flick. You, like, I recall certain moments from this film and they just bring you right back. And mm. I was like that after I first saw it as well. Um, yeah, I, 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 I absolutely love this film. And isn't it so beautiful? There's moments when I, I think about some of the most tender moments are actually when they look like they're glaring at one another. But the <laughs> moment you get this sense of, like, a history possibly of pain or miscommunication and it's never explained. It's just sort of like Mm. it's just hinted at in this really beautiful way. And this vulnerability, like I love that moment when she's at her mum's place and she's just like, oh, she's always on the phone and she gets caught out not actually being on the phone. She's just using it as a a tactic. And I love that kind of change between child and parent. You know, Mm. she sometimes is the parent and he sometimes is like I really yeah this is a favorite for sure yeah no I absolutely adore this film so Tony Erdman is now streaming on SBS on demand and is available to rent or buy via YouTube and Google Play you are listening to Primal Screen on Triple R Triple R 
You're, you've been listening to Primal Screen on Triple R with Sally Christie, Flick Ford, and myself, Paul Anthony Nelson. We reviewed American Psycho, now streaming on Netflix and available to rent or buy on YouTube, Apple TV, and Google Play. The Life of, Can- Life of the Cannibals, now available to stream on Amazon Prime Video. And Tony Erdman, now available to stream on SBS On Demand or to rent or buy via YouTube or Google Play. You can also subscribe to the Primal Screen podcast via iTunes or wherever else you find your favorite podcast. Join us next week for our 26th Primal Screen isolation special. We'll be marking our six-month milestone by looking at some new releases. Remember those? (laughs) Our our social media channels may reveal some of the titles we'll be digging into. So stay tuned to Primal Screen Show on Facebook and or search for Primal Screen on Twitter and Instagram. A huge thank you to Morty Osborne for editing the Primal Screen podcast, to Killer Carl Chapman for panelling and providing producing assistance for our show. Thanks for listening to Primal Screen, a weekly radio show airing Monday evenings on Triple R. Hope you've enjoyed the podcast version and feel free to get in touch via the Primal Screen Facebook page or the Triple R website. 